first reading is in Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay. On one occasion, the expert in the law stood up to Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, And took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The next reading is 1 John, verse four, chapter 4, 9 through 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that he might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an intoning Sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The word of the Lord. How are we doing, Mason? We holding steady? At 8.30, it was about the scripture reading. We started hearing a noise, and it wasn't the sound system. We determined it was a woodpecker up on the ceiling. Did you go up and shoot him? Is that what you did? Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us about the slowness of love. A man is walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's robbed, he's beaten, he's left for dead. And the people that we think would stop 
to help him and love him and come to the aid of this dying man, two religious people pass him by. The one who stops to help, to love, is a Samaritan. Samaritans were despised by Jews. They uh, were ethnically mixed. They had their own religion. And though they held to uh, the first five books of the Bible in their scriptures, they had their own temple. They had their own uh, way of worshiping and religion and practices. And Jews and Samaritans did not associate. They were hostile towards one another. Samaritans are anything but good to the Jews of Jesus' time. Jesus' use of a Samaritan in this parable is intentional. That it is the Samaritan who knows how to love his neighbor is part of the shock that Jesus wants to give. This is a parable about love. Jesus tells the parable because he was approached by an expert in the Jewish law about how to get to heaven. And Jesus asked him, well, what do you read in the Scriptures? What does the Bible say? And the teacher of the law was direct. He was clear. He said, well, I read two things, love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus said, you're right. And then the teacher asked, well, who exactly is my neighbor? In other words, uh, who am I supposed to love? And after Jesus tells the parable, he asks that expert in the law, now which of the three people who saw the man left for dead on the road, was the neighbor to the man. And the teacher answers, it's the one who showed him mercy. And the point of the parable is to go and do likewise. Love like the Samaritan. Do it just like that, Jesus says. You read that parable and notice the great detail Jesus gives to the action of the Samaritan. He shows, he details the extent of that mercy and that, and that love. Notice the phrases, the words. The Samaritan takes pity on the beaten man. He looked long enough to be affected by what he saw. That's the first lesson of the slowness of love, that love feels with compassion. It feels with empathy. The man goes to the Samaritan as opposed to keeping his distance, which is what the Levite, what the priest did. And that's a big part of this parable. Coming close versus keeping your distance. Love stops when it encounters human need. The Samaritan bandages the man's wounds up. He pours oil and wine on the wounds, which were medicines of the day. Love is willing to spend itself not just on those it knows, but it's willing to spend itself on the stranger. The man puts this Samaritan, it says next, on his donkey, on his ride. He takes him to an inn. He takes care of him. He accepts personal responsibility for this man. Love stays. Love acts. He uses his own money. He arranges care through an innkeeper. He's willing to pick up the tab for whatever else the cost is going to be. Love bears the cost of caring. Now, the Samaritan is set in stark contrast to the religious people. We're told the teacher of the law asked Jesus to define who his neighbor was because, we're told, he wanted to justify himself. In other words, he wanted to find a loophole. 
And the thing I want us to pick up out of this well-known parable is how slow the love of the Samaritan had to be. The Samaritan invests himself physically, emotionally, materially. He gives his time. It all took time. He had to slow down to look. He had to stop in order to care, in order to love. He had to set aside his own agenda, his own schedule. I suppose, I suppose he didn't get everything done on his to-do list that day, or maybe the next day or the next day. You know, are we sometimes so hurried in our efforts to accomplish our agenda, to accomplish even our God agenda, that we don't have time to care for someone who's in desperate need. Or on another occasion, Jesus was asked, well, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus himself said, well, it's to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he said, there's a second commandment I've got to tell you about. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. And by adding that second command, Jesus ties the love of God to the love of neighbor. They go together. He affirms the same with this teacher of the law when he comes to him. Because this is a parable about loving God and it's about loving others too. And one of the truths, one of the truths, is that love will take time. And if our lives are always busy, always hurried, always hectic, always rushed, we will find it hard to love. And is our hurried, is our fast-paced, is our highly technological life costing us more than we realize? Do we run right past invitations, opportunities God presents to us, puts in our way to love others and to love him? I don't think Jesus is saying you need to meet every need that you face. We can't. And Jesus didn't meet every need that came before him either. But we are to show love and mercy when possible. And love and mercy, by the way, in the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew word is the same word, mercy and love. Maybe people will see more Jesus in us as we go slower and take time to love. You know, love often involves suffering. And so much of our lives are spent trying to get away from suffering. In, in a book, I, I quoted it last week, Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. The authors say that the great tragedy of our technological success is not just that we've created a culture that avoids suffering, but that we've lost the capacity or the willingness to enter into the pain of others. Now, there's suffering that needs to be eradicated. There's suffering that we need to flee, but there is some things we will have to go through. Some of the smaller sufferings, like inconvenience, submission, waiting, um, the inability to solve a problem. They're part of life. Our worship of productivity, of efficiency, of speed, makes it very difficult to weep with those who weep, or to pray with those who pray, or to feed those who are hungry, or to tend to those who need nurture. We don't have time. Why are so many people lonely? Why are so many people suffering in isolation 
and silence, never knowing the contact and the care and the love of other human beings because we're moving too fast. But that's not the way of God. Jesus took our suffering upon himself in love. He entered our world, our existence. It says taking the form of a slave, humbling himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did not create distance between himself and us in our suffering, but he loved us. He came close to us. Our Thursday morning men's Bible study has been going through a book, and we came across a great story a couple of weeks ago. It's about a group of salesmen some years ago. They lived in Milwaukee. They had a sales convention in Chicago. They took the train up for the day. Uh, They all had families. They all assured their wives they would be back that night for dinner. That evening, I know, it could be a group of businesswomen calling their husbands to say they would be at home that night for their husbands making dinner, right? But just work with me, okay? And, uh, and the last session of the convention, of the sales convention, ran late. And they were just scared that they were going to be late for their trade. They flew out of the building. They raced toward the train station, got into the train station. They heard over the speakers the last call announcing the last call for the boarding of their train to get them back to Milwaukee. As they raced through the terminal, one of the salesmen inadvertently knocked over a table. And on that table was this basket of apples that a young boy was selling, and he was selling them for his school to raise money so he could go to school and for his books. And the apples just went all over the place. Five salesmen got on the train. They made it. Doors were still just about to close, but that one salesman who'd accidentally ran into that boy and knocked over his apples began to feel pity for the boy. And Those apples now lay all over the train station floor. And he asked one of his colleagues, he said, call my wife, tell her I'm going to be late. Got off the train. Went over to where that boy was and he discovered further that this boy was blind. And there were apples all over the place and he got down on the ground and he began just to get those apples back together, put them in the basket. Some of them were split, some of them were nicked. He took his wallet out of his coat, looked what he had inside, handed the boy $25. He said, I am really sorry. I hope I didn't spoil your day. God bless you. Then he started to walk back to the ticket office, buy his train ticket for the next train that's going to leave later. He's going to be late. And the boy called after him and asked, Are you Jesus? You see, we may have to miss our train sometimes in order to show the love of Jesus to someone. 1 Corinthians 13 is that great love chapter. Uh, Even people who aren't Christians, aren't familiar with Christianity, never read the Bible, most know 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels but don't have love, I'm only a resounding, resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. And when Paul describes the nature of love, the first characteristic that he lists is patience. He says, love is patient. Love is also kind. It doesn't envy. It it protects. It trusts. It hopes. It perseveres. It's all those things too. But Paul says, first, love is patient. And patience 
requires time, slowness. If love is patient, then love doesn't quit at the first sign of trouble. It doesn't rush to judgment. It doesn't run from an uncomfortable situation. It doesn't rush past hard places. It listens. It seeks to understand when it's misunderstood. Love is patient. And isn't that how our Lord loves us? With patience? God's not quick to lose his patience with us. He's slow with us because we stumble and we get up. We stumble and we get up and he bears with us and he lets us develop and grow and wander and experiment and fail and learn and come back and come back again and again. Jane Lang is a New York Yankee fan, lives in Morris Plains, New Jersey, and 30 times a year she makes the trek to the Bronx, New York, to Yankee Stadium. She, she, she makes the trek over to the train station, takes about uh, 20 minutes for her to get to the train station where she picks up the train, it's a 70-minute train ride into Penn Station in Manhattan of New York City, and then she weaves through the station for 10 minutes so that she can get to the subway station to pick up the D train, which goes to Yankee Stadium. She uh, navigates the crowd. She navigates the vendors to get to her seat on that subway. No big deal, you say. Well, Jane is blind, and she's 67 years old. And she's been blind from birth, and that trip doesn't always go so well for her. One, One time, some kids thought it would be really fun to turn her around about ten times so that she'd lose her sense of uh, direction. Another time she fell on the subway tracks by accident, almost lost her life. Now she has a seeing eye dog. His name is Clipper. And together they make the trip through the chaotic streets of New York, weaving through the maze of vendors and people staring down at their iPhones and the bums and the detours and the boxes and all the other obstacles that streets of New York uh, present to people who are there. One August afternoon in 2010, Jane opened her door, got ready to make another trip to a Yankee ball game, and on her doorstep was Joe Girardi, the manager of the New York Yankees, with four current and former New York Yankee baseball players. Jane couldn't believe it, just couldn't believe it, and uh, they didn't have a limousine, to pick her up, to take her there. That's not the story I'm going to tell. They didn't have a town car. They didn't have a cab. They didn't have their own cars. They had their tennis shoes. Because they came to make the trek with Jane. Just like she does every time that she goes to Yankee Stadium. Jane couldn't believe it. Joe Girardi told her they thought she was incredible. They wanted to go with her today, the same way she always does. So through the streets of New York they go, past the pizza parlors and and the barber shops and the off-track betting places and and the the, the florists. There are some media there. There was Yankee PR people. And as they went and as people recognized some of the players, uh, they, they began to catch on to what was happening, what they were doing. And there was a great crowd to send Jane and the players and Joe Girardi off when they finally made it to the train. They finally got to the train and ex-Yankee star Tino Martinez sat down. He said, I can't imagine doing this. 
And Joe Girardi said, you know, we should be blindfolded to really go through and experience what she does. Jane's system for knowing when she's supposed to get off the train, when she's by herself, is she puts eight pieces of candy in her right pocket, and every time the train stops, she puts a piece of candy in the left pocket. And when she has one piece left, she knows next stop is Yankee Stadium. But on this day, she had people who were going to tell her, this is, this is the time to get off now. The entire trip took two and a half hours. Jane was escorted to the locker room. She was introduced to players. She got to meet Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter and, and feel their faces. And they took her down to the infield, and she got to touch the grass. Jane said she was the luckiest person in the world. She said, best day of my life. And it was because some busy, important people slowed down long enough to care, to enter her world, and to go with her on what's a long journey for her that takes a lot of time. There's a slowness to love. We have to get off the speed train and get on the patience train. You know, the end of Jesus' parable is not that this beaten man gets better and um, recovers and becomes a success and a speaker and has some books and movies. The end of the parable is to be like this Samaritan and show mercy Slow down enough to take pity, to touch, to invest yourself in others, to love. Because it takes time to care for somebody, to visit somebody, to listen to somebody, to tend to somebody, to give ourselves to somebody. One of the challenging things about love is that it does take patience, and sometimes we don't see immediate results. Sometimes we don't see any results at all. But remember the slow work of God. There is a slowness to our faith, and there's a slowness in the way that God works, and there's a slowness in the way that God moves. Maybe the greatest need that we as Christ followers need to learn is to walk at His pace. And that's what these series of sermons called Slow have tried to help us own. The slowness of living with God, the slowness of our faith, of prayer, of life, of loving. Remember that peace. Remember those words from the Christian, Teilhard de Chardin. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything, to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. Yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability. And that may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Do not try to force them on as though you could be today what time, that is to say grace, and circumstances acting on your own goodwill will make you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming in you will be. 
give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Above all, trust in the slow work of God, our loving vine dresser. Let me close with this. First John, we read, we heard that God's love was revealed to us in sending his son into this world. He didn't send his only son because we loved him, because we didn't. He did it because he loved us and he took responsibility for our rebellion, for our sins. We don't have to pay our sins, nor do we have to work our way to God, but God does ask us to love one another. And that takes patience. And it takes living slow enough to love. This week we celebrate God's love for us in Christ. I hope it will mean something to you. As we're left beaten and dead in this world, he has come to us. He's been patient with us. He's long sought us. He has died and rose for us. And while the world goes about its business, I sincerely hope that you will have eyes to see the one hanging on the cross and that you will be slow enough to honor the deep, massive, great, patient, long-suffering love of our Lord Jesus Christ for us. Amen.